Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Welcome to another Baseball America podcast. As all of our podcasts, we want to thank you for tuning in today and thank you to Baseballism. Our podcasts are sponsored by Baseballism. Baseballism is the official off-the-field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and kids. If you are a baseball fan, you need to check out Baseballism.com or visit the retail locations in Cooperstown, New York and Scottsdale, Arizona. Visit Baseballism.com and enter the code BA2017 to save 20% off. One thing i got to check on that is, is if you go to the retail location, if is it like a secret password where you say BA2017, can you get 20% off then? I we may have to work on that. But, uh, but we do have today we're going to talk org talent rankings. I'm J.J. Cooper. Join today is me, Matt Eddy, John Manuel. All of us were very uh, deeply involved in putting together these org talent rankings. This is kind of the final, really, this is the end of prospect season. We've now put to bed the 2016 season. Spring training is beginning. We look ahead to 2017. But as we do that, and the Braves are our number one organization, it goes down to the Marlins have slid behind the Angels to number 30. Before we dive in, and we will dive into some of the teams, but we'll start with kind of explaining the process a little bit. We love to talk about process. You may have heard this before if you're a long-time Baseball America podcast listener, but we try to add a little bit of new nuggets every time. But but Matt and then John, I'll start with you, Matt. Like, Just kind of explain how, as you see it, how we line these, these teams up. I think the golden combination you want is elite talent close to the major leagues. We saw that with the 2016 Dodgers. Corey Seager, Julio Urias. You couldn't ask for a better a better farm system, and they were our number one heading into 2016, and that paid off for the Dodgers. You know, in 2015, the Cubs were near the top, and they graduated Chris Bryant, Addison Russell, Kyle Schwarber, probably other people I'm forgetting, and that paid off for them as well. That's that is the, that, that's when it makes for an easy number one. Mm-hmm. John? Yeah, I think, I think you nailed it, Matt. I mean, that's, that's the thing is the last two years have actually been, in my mind, unusual, and that they have just been... I mean, you're not going to say perfect farm systems, but just that's, like you said, the ideal setup. Star caliber talent combined with readiness to help in the major league. Uh, that's, and I don't think we have a farm system like that in 2017. We have good farm systems. We have farm systems that have a lot of future all-stars in them, you know, potentially. But those two, the last couple of years, those those combinations that we saw with the Cubs in 2015 and the Dodgers in 2016, I think we have to understand that was unique, just like what we saw in 2010, 2011, when the Nationals had Strasburg, you know, and, you know, and Harper and back-to-back drafts, guys were a potential, you know, potential number one starter and potential, you know, MVP, you know, and back-to-back drafts, and how unique we thought that was at the time. Mm-hmm. And you know, Strasburg has flashed it. Harper has flashed it. Haven't consistently done it. But what the Cubs and the Dodgers have assembled, there's a reason why they, those all those players we talked about, were reasons they faced each other in the National League Championship Series last year. And then, and then uh, Harper and Strasburg are two big reasons why the Nationals have been consistent contenders in this decade. I mean, it's just really, you know, we saw with the Royals before as a number one organization and how they wound up winning the World Series. These things matter. And these are championship tools. So that's what we're looking for. We're looking for championship caliber impact tools. You know, JJ, you tweeted out what the Braves top 30 looked like just a couple of years ago. 
one of our readers tweeted astutely, was like, hey, you know, there were a decent amount of big leagues in there, and there were 28th ranked farm systems. I tweeted back at him, yeah, I mean, but you don't want big leaguers, you want impact big leaguers, you want game changers. And a couple of years ago, the Braves had Jose Peraza and Albi Albi the rookie ball. And that was really about it, the potential impact. You, you don't win world championships with Cody Martin, no offense to Cody Martin. You win with guys like Corey Seager, Chris Bryant, Julio Urias, and Schwarber, you know, guys who have sevens on the card. And those two systems we had the last two years, those were really special circumstances. <laughs> that- Pretty- Pretty astute, pretty outstanding job by those front offices to assemble that talent. That that Cubs one from two years ago is one of the all-time greats. And, I mean, that's not looking back on it. When you look at the guys, how many guys they had in the top 10, in the top 25, in the top 50, it stood out as one of the great assemblages of, like what you said, Matt, impact talent close to the big leagues. You don't see things like that very often. You don't see that every year. I, Who comes closest this year? I'm kind of scanning the teams, and I, I don't know if there's maybe the Red Sox have they kept Moncada. Oh, know, the the Red, Andrew Benintendi, Yuan Moncada, and Raphael Devers, who's probably a couple years away. But. The, no, the Red Sox. I think who's close actually is to me is the Pirates, and that's a little okay. surprising answer. But the Pirates don't have great depth, and I think we have question marks about a lot of their close to big league guys. And and Josh Bell's already shown one of those question marks with his knee injury. But there is a scenario where Josh Bell is a above average big league first baseman and where Kevin Newman is a, you know, top 10 major league shortstop, maybe even top five. If he hits for average and draws a lot of walks and is like a leadoff man who's an above average big league defensive shortstop, that, that's plausible. Um, and then Austin Meadows is a star and Tyler Glassman is better than we thought. Those are all guys with double A and triple A. Uh, experience, not better than we thought, but Tyler Glasner actually is that six eight unicorn starter, you know. Um, that's four guys that could be impact guys, you know. Josh Bell could be a three hole hitter, so if it all comes together, that, I think they're the one that actually has that combination of upper level talent with potential impact, but all four of those guys, well, all three of those four guys, I think for me, Meadows is, is pretty special. Uh, I'll give two other examples. One is, as you just talked about it, if the Red Sox had kept everyone, they would have been the... Now, again, I don't know where they'd all played because they weren't all going to play for the Red Sox, but if you add Espinosa, Margot, Renfro, Mancada, Kopech, they would have had, a, I think, seven top 50 prospects, which and one, two. That would have been, uh, you know, again... Crazy. That would have been. That would have been the last team to have one two were the Cardinals when they had J.D. Drew and Rick Anfield in '99 or 2000. And I think also Diamondbacks uh, Justin Upton, Stephen Drew. Hmm. I think. Wow. To double check that. Um, or that may have been one three, but they were right up there. Um, but I, I do think the other team, and again, I don't put this on the level with the teams we're talking about, Cubs and all that, or even Dodgers last year. But you do look at the White Sox, who, again, lack depth, significantly lack depth. I don't think their depth, if you compare them to the organizations around them, the Astros ahead of them, the Phillies behind them, they're much more depth. But when you talk about Mancada, Giolito, Lopez, you know, Zach Collins is going to, again, if you, especially the bat's going to move fast. The question is, is how quickly will the, the glove move? But Kopech, that's a lot of upper-level talent. A lot of sevens, too. Yeah. 
That's that's a lot of upper level talent, a lot of potential impact talent. Now again, where you look at where the White Sox are right now, they don't really have a whole lot of incentive to. They're not. This is not the Cubs in 2015 where you're bringing these guys up to make impacts right away because you think you can win. White Sox are a little further behind on that cycle, but but I, I do think that that could be that combination. Um, I, I wanted to I wanted to throw out an exercise like we talk about the the balance of depth versus impact talent. Again, the ideal scenario is what you said, Matt, where you have impact talent close to the big leagues, and that's <laughs> that makes it easy at the top of a list. But as we go down, as we're lining these up one to thirty, one of the things that you end up always having to balance is depth versus stars. And especially once you're talking about lining up even number five versus number six on the list or number 15 versus 16, it comes back to a a lot of situations where you're looking at significantly more depth of big leaguers versus more upside. You know, maybe, you know, or you often end up also debating guys who are a long, long, long ways away who really are exciting versus guys who are close to the big leagues but aren't going to be, you know, don't project to be anything more than useful players. That's always the crux of the debate in many ways. Mm-hmm. And I'll start this time with you, John. How do you kind of balance that? Oh, I'm not too consistent, unfortunately. <laughs> that would be my downfall as a prospect evaluator. Um, when you have a gut like mine, sometimes it goes too much with your gut. Um, but I definitely uh, play hunches a little bit more than probably. I know I used to drive Jim Callis crazy uh, when we did this with Jim. Uh, I'm sure it drives you crazy, Matt. You're just more restrained than Jim. But uh, you know, my process definitely. Uh, tr- I try to shoot toward uh, some of the, I guess, lessons instead I've learned over the 20 years. Uh, I try not to go, I try to value pro, uh, organizations that have, if there's close, I go to the system that has, uh, higher ceiling hitters. You know, that's, that's, that's just a safer genre of prospect. Uh, you usually wind up trying to err on the side of it. Again, it's close. Which organization has more closer to the major talent? It's, uh, you know, uh, that, that's a factor for me in, in deciding, uh, kind of differentiating between similar organizations. Let's be honest, I usually wind up ranking the organizations that I know best higher. The organizations that I've, that I have worked on, or, uh, like for their top 30, I do the Cubs and the Blue Jays. I have, uh, to use the Clinton Longanaker phrase, I have information asymmetry there. And no more about the Cubs and the, and the Blue Jays. I've primarily researched those organizations. I edit all 30 words for the handbook, but I do have more info on those two. I have more info on organizations where the player, if I directly report on their players in the draft. So all those biases come into play, if you want to call them biases. Those are, uh, you can call them biases, you can call them human failings. Uh, to me, it's just you know, logic of how my process works. I wind up ranking the things. Now, and sometimes that makes me light on the club. You know, last year, I was a little bit light on the Cubs. I knew that they had talent. I thought it was very far away. I deemed them a little extra heavy for having virtually no pitching prospects, and we had them at 20. I think we were more accurate to have 
Cubs 20s and you know, other ranks that have them in the top 10, so we moved them up this year. Um, and they didn't really need contributions from the farm system last year in the major leagues in terms of rookies. They just and did it in trades. And, uh, you know, Glaber Torres and Eli Jimenez have really significant steps forward last year. But, um, that's kind of how my, kind of how I differentiate in that murky middle of, uh, the, of the organization talent rankings, man. I, I know they're all, I think we're all a little bit consistent about that kind of thing. Yeah. For me, I lean most on star power. Like when we line up our top 100 prospects, I generally use that, <clears throat> those rankings to guide the org rankings. I think that kind of aligns more with the history of VA rankings as well. So I'd like to kind of keep that consistency with our product, our brand. I, I, I'm fair. It's also how the clubs are going for, Matt. You say, Jay, don't you agree? I think they're... When clubs trade for... When they trade, they're trading for, I won't say lottery tickets, but they will accept risk. And they're not trading for five. You know, or future 45 players. They're trading for guys who might be 60s. Generally. I, I will say I think there are sometimes, it depends on where you are in the cycle of an organization. I look at the, the Mariners. I look at the Mariners, and the Mariners traded for a number of what we would call fives. I mean, they traded for guys. They traded for some guys who, because they need, they need guys who are ready to play in the big leagues, and it doesn't have to be an all-star in some cases. Mm-hmm. If you're cost-controlled, you're inexpensive, they, where they need a, a, a guy. I'm, I try to be, when, as far as my process, I'm very data driven when it comes to these, because it's 30 organizations. And so, and th- this is kind of part of our whole process because I put this together for us is, is, I've talked about it on the podcast before, the 50 high line. If you get the, you know, the Baseball America Prospect Handbook available at store.baseballamerica.com, um, if you get it, we have BA grades for every player in there, all 900 players. And there's the ceiling grade, which is not the absolute highest possible ceiling this player could reach. It is what we consider a realistic ceiling. Call it an 80%, 75%. Like you, a guy who has a 5% chance of being a star and a 45% chance of being a useful right number three starter I mean, a number four starter. We're going to project that guy generally as a number four. Um, you know, like, uh, it's, but that's a realistic ceiling. And then we have the risk grade. When you put those together, I've always said the 50 high line, which means a guy who projects has a chance, solid chance, but a chance to be a solid big league regular. But he has a high risk of ever reaching that ceiling. Every organization has those guys. 50 high equals a 40, roughly equals a 45 medium, a 40 low, a 55 extreme. Again, every organization, just by the fact that you drafted guys, uh, a top, a non-first round pick, especially a, a late first round pick to a talented, promising high school third, fourth round pick, they're all pretty much going to end up generally as 50 highs in their first book. So every organization has these guys. I look at it for one is, is okay, how many players do you have above that line? And then with, when we talk about impact, it is, okay, how many, how many 65 highs, 65 meters, how many top 100 guys do you have? How many top 25 guys do you have? That is, when you say, like, I would say the top 100 in my mind is really 50 to 60% of 
your overall grade. To give an example, if you had an organization, and in our book, the number one prospect was a 50 high, which would mean that they would not, that would not be a top 100 prospect. And their number 30 prospect was still a 50 high, which means, again, this is not a bad prospect. These are prospects who really range in among the top 300 to 500 players in the game, in the, in the farm system. That organization is not going to rank all that high. It's going to not be at the bottom either because they have a lot of depth. But you are looking for that star power. Well, then the next thing I look at is where does that 50 high line stop? And this is to me where depth really comes in. When you look at an organization like the Padres stands out on this, the Braves, which are number one organization, start, stand out. The Phillies stand out on this. The Yankees stand out on this. These are organizations where you get to prospect number 23, 24, 25, and it's still a really good prospect. And there are a lot of organizations, you compare that. Again, we just talked about the White Sox. The White Sox top six, seven is really good. You get to number 20 on the list, and it's Jacob May. Jacob May is not going to line up with number 20 on the Phillies list. He's not going to line up with number 20 on the Padres list. You know, again, you're, you're talking about guys who generally are going to be either lower ceiling or higher risk than those guys in those comparable around them in the rankings. The organizations that have a significant number of top, 100, top 25 guys and depth are going to be one, two, three generally in ours. A lot of top 100 guys. They did. Yeah. They did the way you've been doing it in the office and, uh, you know, for better or for worse, you and I have a door between our offices, which sometimes leads to great discussions, but other times leads to us yelling over the parsing a sentence over one word. Um, but, uh, one of the things you've been throwing between that, uh, in that corridor power the last couple of weeks is, if we're talking about a, a prospect, a we'll, uh, name will come up, and he's on a depth chart for one of those deep organizations, like the Padres or the Phillies or the Yankees. He'll say, you'll just pause, you'll just go, how high does this guy rank on the Angels? How high does this guy rank on the Marlins? And the thing with the 50 high line for those organizations starts at like one or two or three. And um, so there are guys who are 50 high who don't even make the top 30 for some of those organizations. I forget the specific Philly we were talking about yesterday. Cole Stobie. But, pardon me? Cole Stobie. Oh, Cole Stobie, yeah, exactly. He's, not, he's on the depth chart for the Phillies. Third round pick, $1.1 million. And now he, he might be a 45 high. He might be. He's more, 50 extreme. He's more 50 extreme or 50 high. I think he's actually, to me, he's actually 50 high. He had a rough finish, I believe it was, in the Florida, in the GTL playoffs. I think the Phillies, either way, I think recall editing him in the GTL top 20 where he struggled a little bit uh, late in the year. And it might have been an injury where he might have missed it structurally. But the point is, like, he's really close. And, and let's be honest, you know, Ben Dabber's not here to defend himself on the Phillies top 30, but Ben got a, if he's going to, uh, differentiate the back of a top 30, uh, again, between like a Carlos Tosi, a Jalen Ortiz, Alberto Torado, uh, Francisco Morales, you know, Latin American players that Ben has a little information asymmetry on versus the draft guy like Colt Tobey, um, he's going to probably wind up ranking the Latin American player because he knows a little bit more about him. I think if a different person at the Phillies list, Cole Sutton would be for like a 26, 27, 20. That's all point of VA grade. Mm -hmm. a, you know, 50 high, 55. He would, by the way, he would not be older. a, John, just to interject, he would not be a 50 high. Ben's a very tough grader. We tried to normalize it, but there's, there are 
The 50 high line is b- before that on the Phillies list? He's probably a 50 extreme. He's a 50 he's extreme. Has, probably has a 50 extreme. Which is fine because he is a you know, uh, high school infielder uh, with a good bat. And there's some questions about the projection of power. But that's a guy who 50 extremes are in the top 10 for the uh, Marlins and Angels and those kind of things. So this is, this is, these are the deep systems where you know, we could have gone uh, 40 deep on a couple of those systems. Conversely, we really wish that we could just stop at 10 or 12 or 15 for some of these organizations. Some of these organizations really don't have 30 guys who are worth ranking. It just it just is what it is. So those are the organizations. And you know it pretty simply by looking at the back of a 30 and going like, oh, here's a 40 high, <laughs> you know, or 45 extreme. And you look at other organizations and they're like, wait a minute, they don't have any of those guys, you know. So when you see... When you see 45 extremes in the book, those guys really shouldn't, shouldn't, that's a, that's a sign of a bad thing. To, to give you a couple other examples of that, you look at that Padres list. Here are guys who did not rank on the Padres list. Buddy Reed, who was a uh, prominent guy coming out of the SEC last year in the draft. Reggie Lawson, big arm. Um, Luis Torrens, who, <laughs> injury plague, but uh, rule five pick who could be in the big leagues for them this year. Uh, you know, again, those are guys who you put them in a Marlins system. Reggie Lawson in the Marlins system is an easy top 10 guy because yeah, he, probably. he was a dude. He compares to, I mean, again, they've got 45 highs in the top 10. It, it's not hard to see putting him in the top 10. You know, you look at, uh, again, you know, Henry Henry. and they, they have, the Padres spent a ton of money internationally. The reality is, is usually... Your non-top 10 pick, or not top 10 are rankings July 2 guys, top 15. Beyond that, they're not top 30 guys their first year. You want to see them do something because there is a pretty high attrition rate of those guys, even on let's see what they do before they make it to the States. But that being said, the Padres took so many of those guys this year, spent so much money on it that you kind of know it's not going to be all of them by any stretch. But if you ask me right now to pick my favorite to be our number one farm system in 2019, I wouldn't even say an 18 book, but in the 2019, it's probably the Padres because a lot of these guys that they have who are on the back end of this 20 are high ceiling guys. Some of them are probably going to turn out. They're going to be terrible this year. So they're going to have a very high pick, and they're going to have a lot of money to spend in the draft this year. I'd say they're probably going to be bad again next year. And they have, at that point, all this massive amount of money they spent internationally this year will be guys who are in full season ball at that point. That's my, again, my pick to be our 2019 number one uh, farm system ranking. But there is a lot of volatility to that, Matt. Yeah, I thought you were going to do some Jim Callis World Series predictions there. No. 2021 World Series champions, Padres. <laughs> no, I'm not, going, I'm not going that. The crystal ball does not go that far out yet. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think you would take any team who projects to play poorly and therefore will have high draft position and a lot of money to spend internationally. I think those are your favorites to be top farm systems in the years to come. But and the well, Padres. team that spends a lot of internationally is the Yankees. Oh, yeah. And they blew past their pool a couple of years ago. And the reason the Yankees rank ahead of the Padres is they've done what the Padres have done in terms of the international. 
They have a better big league roster also, which doesn't hurt. Obviously, they have a lot of money. But they also, you know, um, drafted decently, and they made two killer trades last year. Mm-hmm. It was trading Andrew Miller and Earl Chapman. And, you know, hey, you know, Padres made a couple of good trades. I really like James Shields for Hernando Tatis Jr. It's just like the White Sox to actually make, you know, sign an international player who people like, you know, Fernando Tatis Jr., and then trade him for, uh, pennies on the dollar. It's really, uh, unfortunate for the White Sox. But I, I hope for their sake, you know, that James Shields has, uh, to use JJ's term, a little dead cap down this year, and has one more decent year in him. Um, but, you know, the, 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 the Yankees, I think deserve some credit for the deal they made last year deserve credit, and they've got a lot of credit for it. They've got really serious system debt. Uh, they have extra affiliates at the lower levels to accommodate all the, their signing splurge. It was a pretty coordinated move by the Yankees. They really spent a lot of money internationally. That was two years ago, $20-some million in bonuses. And they added you know, two GCLs. They added an Happy League team. So they have a development track set up. And they traded the process at the top of the system. And the team won the AAA championship. They've got, uh, I like their system a lot. Uh, and they, and they rank number two, you should mention. Almost had eight, right. They rank number two as a result because they are a nice combination, I think. Uh, but I mean, they're, they're, they're really, they have it all. They're like George Costanza. They, they've got it all. They've got, uh, they've got close to the, close to the, uh, big league guys. With some feeling, like a Clint Frazier. Um, they've got a safe, uh, almost a safe genre of properties as you can get. And Glaber Torres, a bat first, middle diamond player, might be a third baseman, might be a second baseman. I think a Glaber Torres as a player that we maybe thought that Starling Castro would be. You know? I think you're going to get a lot of hits. I think you're going to have control of the strike zone better than Starling Castro. And Starling Castro is thought of as almost like an afterthought guy. He's got more than a thousand hits. He's had a couple 200 hit seasons, if I'm not mistaken. Clayton Torres could be a better version of that guy. You know, total strikes and more, it's for more power. Um, and I think there's a chance to say a shortstop, and if he does anything, it's because Edie Gregorius is really good, not because Clayton Torres isn't good. So, um, they have a very safe player, they have high upside guys like Caprillion and Frazier, and while those guys carry some risk, they have a lot of them. Frazier doesn't work out, maybe Aaron Judge does. You know, Caprillion doesn't, maybe Ken Adams does. They, they, it's an impressive farm system that has been assembled through the draft, through trades, through international. That's you know that's usually how the best systems are. You know the, the Padres have a very strong international program. They had a, a a lot of picks in last year's draft. For me, it was a pretty risky draft. I, I'm not in love with their draft from last year, um, and from the year before, it wasn't super either. So I think the Padres are still trying to build all three of those legs. Right now, the international leg is the strongest one, but I think it takes all three to really be an elite farm for the number one system. Um, the Padres should add to it by being really bad in the big leagues and adding some high draft picks in the next couple of years. The thing that stands out a couple of things with the Yankees, again, when we talk about systems that have guys beyond the 30, I look at the Yankees and I say, okay, Kyle Holder, who's on the depth chart at shortstop, He's not gonna, he's not gonna hit enough to be anything impact at the big league level, but he's good enough defensively that I, I'd say it's pretty, pretty good chance he plays in the big leagues. Our sleeper in the handbook, Juan de Paula, right-hander, good guy, you know, good prospect to name as a sleeper, 
and this will take you really deep into he doesn't even rank on the depth chart because we actually ran out of room on the right-handed starter pitcher depth chart. We got room for 15 guys. And they had... So we got to make, make that chart bigger. <laughs> that happened in a lot of organizations, frankly. But you, you talk about you know uh, him. You talk about guys who are close to the big leagues who could be useful relievers. Ben Heller, J.P. Frierson, who they acquired last year in, in trades. You look at, you know, again, kind of all the way around. Isaiah Gillum, who's a, uh, you know, right field in the depth chart, was a dude coming out of high school a couple of years ago. There's, there's a lot of depth here. There's a lot of guys in the 10s and the 20s who could end up being, who have the ability to be top 10 prospects down the road. Yeah, that's, again, this is why they're number two. That's a really good Con- farm system. Conversely, Matt, I think that some of these other top 10 systems I um, want to get your thoughts on a team, an organization like the Brewers that has significant depth uh, versus an organization like the Rockies that I would say is more star-driven than depth-driven. Um, the Milwaukee, they, they're kind of like the Yankees lights in a way. You know, they have, they have a, a lot of guys with upside, but all their upside guys have risk. Um, there's no clear number one for the Brewers. It really does feel like if you just take Glaber Torres, and plopped them on the Brewers, or say Orlando Arcia had had a really good 2016 season, but the Brewers had decided, you know what, we don't want to get him in the big leagues this year. We're going to leave him in AAA the whole year, and if he was a top 10 prospect, the Brewers might rank even higher than they do at eight. I, I feel like they're an organization that it's not a top five possible, but it really has a chance to, and has a chance to still be one next year, uh, even if they graduate some guys. Uh, this is a I'm intrigued by the Brewers, especially because I like the college bats they drafted in 2016 and Corey Ray and Lucas Erste. Yeah, I think those two batters in particular will play a large, a prominent role for the organization because you talk about the three legs of acquisition. Well, the Brewers have mastered the trade, but the draft and international (laughs) TBD on those because their top prospects are Lewis Brinson and Josh Hader, Luis Ortiz and Isan Diaz. Those are four of their top five including their top three, all trade acquisitions. So, yep. as you mentioned, Ray and Ursay are going to be crucial to the Brewers' future. The, the other thing is... And the international, the international, they haven't been great. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Jake. Because I like, Gilbert Lara spent a lot of money on Bill, uh, mm-hmm. uh, as, as Dana Carvey used to think about uh, Dan Quayle, Bill gaining acceptance. But the, the other thing that stands out to me about the Brewers, that if I'm a Brewers fan, is actually encouraging is, They've got a lot of guys in the 11 through 30 on this list who have been prominent guys who had bad 2016s. Mm-hmm. Now, some of those had bad 2016s because they are on their way to basically prospect irrelevancy. It happens. You know, I, it's to, to put it in the, the harshest terms, terms, look at Tyrone Taylor, who was yeah. At the top of this list for the Brewers not that long literally, ago. Literally at the top, yes. Literally at the top, mm-hmm. and it's been a steady fall since. Yeah. But if you told me that between Brett Phillips and Gilbert Lara and Jacob Nottingham and Cody Medeiros and Cody Ponce, you know, Jorge Lopez, all these guys had bad years last year. Brett Phillips. That's what I said. I said Brett Phillips first, yeah. yeah. Like yeah, the, he, he might be the best of that genre. These are all guys, and then you go down to the high ceiling guys who haven't done anything yet in pro ball, Monty Harrison, Jacob Gatewood, and all that. 
some of those guys, one or two of those guys, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see have a bounce back. Yeah, I think they'll make Biloxi great again this year. And so you put them all together and you say, okay, let's say that the attrition rate on that group is even 80%. Well, then you're still going to get one or two of those guys, maybe one, who ends up really end up being something solid, something really useful. Because we are talking about, again, guys, those are all guys that we just listed who have the ceiling to be more than just a, a filling guy. And these are guys who at one point really had the look of a top 10 prospect in an organization. Again, some of them are going to wash out. Many of them are going to wash out. But yeah, one other thing that I think that gets lost in kind of when we talk about, one of the things about the best farm systems, to, be, to rank number one on this list, you have to have guys who had really good – you have to have guys who had good years last year in the minors. And sometimes that comes together all the right time. Sometimes it doesn't. You got to have guys who stayed healthy because you can't rank at the top of this list if you've got a lot of guys who are coming off of significant injuries. You got to have health. You got to have success. And you got to have guys who've done it in, in full season ball and moving up the ladder. Sometimes those don't always come together at the same time. And you can't have exceeded 130 major league right. bats. Which also does play a factor in this. Yeah. That's why... Hey, the Braves are number one in part. I would say a significant part of it is, is Dansby Swanson still eligible? Right, by two at-bats. If Dansby Swanson plays one more game, yep. you know, if Andrew Benintendi, you know, like where you look at where the Red Sox list, if Andrew Benintendi doesn't get hurt and he doesn't qualify for this list, the Red Sox fall multiple spots on this list. Correct. No question. And that is, that is look, that is an artificiality of this. We are ranking prospects who are still eligible. Right. I mean, that is a different look than if you're talking about young talent. But it is a, a pretty useful way to look at. <laughs> and when you talk about the totality, we're talking about one, two, three, four, five guys who are affected by that. You look at the totality of it. But you also do need to look, if you're a fan reading this, you do also need to look at where is your team. Because if you've graduated, a team that's graduated, like you talked about the Cubs, it doesn't really matter right now that the Cubs have fallen into the late teens on the talent rankings because they still have all these guys who they graduated from, literally one of the greatest farm systems we've ever seen, who aren't even ARB eligible yet. Mm -hmm. That's still very useful talent for them. Yeah, and determine Epic. which ones will be traded for pitchers this season or next. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, they, and, and maybe they had overpaid for... A world of Chapman for a couple of months of World of Chapman, but guess what? They won the World Series for the first time in 108 years. So even if Labor, I mean, unless Labor Torres turns out to be, you know, Shelly Otani, and all of a sudden he starts pulling 95 off the bump as well. I, mean, I think the Cubs, I think Cubs stand to be a team with it really no matter what Labor Torres starts. I was going to say, he could turn into Babe Ruth and uh, Warren Spahn together, you know, and throw in some Cy Young, and I think they'd be like, yep, okay. Yeah, I think so. And, and you know what, uh, good as he is, he may not wind up better than any of the guys who played in the position where he might wind up. He may not be as good as Javi Baez. I mean, I think he'll be better because he's a better hitter. Yeah, but if Javi Baez figures it out, you know, he, <clears throat> that was the guy that Torres was getting compared to in the minor leagues. Like, he's like Torres, he's like Baez, a little less flashy, a little less electric. You know, better kill to hit. There, there are a lot of similarities. Uh, physically, you know, stance, those kind of things, 
Uh, the Cubs officials made and the Scouts outside organization. So, you know, it looks like he's copying Baez, you know, with his stance and the way he holds his hands, those kind of things, the swing. Um, I, I don't think, I think in terms of just tool for tool, outside of the hitting ability, I don't think he's great. I don't get as, you know, as well as Hobby Baez does. So, uh, he's definitely not better than Chris Bryant. And Addison Russell, I don't know. I think Addison Russell's a better shortstop. So, uh, the Cubs could afford to give him up uh, to go on that full tangent. I did want to direct this more. I had two different ways that you go to the back of the podcast, guys. I was interested in you guys wanted to talk more about another top 10 team that has a lot of depth in the Astros, which is a really interesting system, or if you guys wanted to shift it more toward the theoretical discussion, which would take us more toward the back of the top 30 where, you know, like it was 16, 17 years ago. I think the Angels are testing this theory right now. I call it like the Albert Pujols theory. Like, is a farm system a great farm system if it has one super duper star, one transcendent player, like the Mike Trout, you know, six years ago for the Angels, uh, or uh, Albert Pujols 17 years ago for the Cardinals? Um, or would you rather have one of these, uh, something like the Brewers, who may not have a superstar, but may have 10, 12 contributors, you know, regulars, good players, I think theoretically, if you're going by war, you'd rather have that one superstar, but, I mean, the angels are showing us uh, that's not enough. And you know, Pujols came along, I guess it's really a trout theory more than it is a Pujols theory, because Pujols came up to a an organization in St. Louis that had the money and had other pieces around them that traded the pieces around them to win championships, even though their sponsors didn't really produce much to go with them. I, I, we've had this argument in the office, and to me, I'm always, give me the pool holes. Like, I, to me, if you look back at our first handbook we did, uh, the 2001 Prospect Handbook, the Cardinals' top 30 from that year large, is essentially Albert Pujols and nothing. I mean, it is as perfect an example of what you're talking about because um, they had a pitcher in the top uh, three on that list who ended up Bud having a, Smith. Bud Smith who had a year but that was pretty much it and there's almost no one else on that who made any kind of impact at all however they did produce one of the great hitters of all time from that and my thought is is again same thing now Mike Trout is a little bit different because they they trade a lot of it away but it was Trout and the, I mean, in the same draft, it was Trout and Skaggs and Richards and Grichuk and, and Corbin. And Corbin. Right. So they actually had pieces around him. Um, you know, they just sent many of them away. Uh, but I, to me, the thing that is hardest to do is to find the player who stands ab above everyone else. You can find, I mean, if your system is otherwise barren almost, what the Angels have done recently with Trout that I have a problem with is, is that if you then, if every year you're in must-win-now mode, there becomes, the, the, the bill becomes due. And when you look at the Angels, they haven't drafted all that great, but they've also given away a lot of picks because they didn't get them because they were always signing free agents. And we weren't talking about the free agents that got them over the hump, they were talking about free agents just to fill holes. Yeah. And that's my problem with that. But to me, give me the star over the depth every time. 
Yeah, I mean, Pujols and Trout are, are tough dependents to because they're in their primes and the best players in baseball. Like, you could take a five-year period. They could, they could have justifiably won the MVP every year. You know, would you take a, a player or tier below that? Right. Dansby Swanson would not, to me, I would not want Dansby Swanson as the only guy I have in my system. Mm-hmm. It is, you're talking Trout. Harper may not end up ever reaching that, but Harper would be a guy who, when was coming up, you'd say, if you have Bryce Harper and nothing else, that's, to me, a top 10 system right there. Or Jason Hayward, former number one prospect, right? Back injuries are a bad thing. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but no, I, I do think, though, if you have one of those all-time greats. What, I mean, well, John, but what do you think? You know, for me, uh, the more I, the more I do it, the less I actually think that the one player enough. I, I think, cause it, I think it's very hard to manage, um, a team with no depth. And that's what the, you know, uh, the Royals, uh, proved to us. They, they did have options and they had their depth and they leveraged their depth in trades. Um, that's, I, I like the way they, they kind of thread that needle. The Angels traded so poorly and they have nothing around Trout. And I just don't, uh, you know, the Cardinals, uh, were very well managed, uh, by Walt Jockety, uh, the general manager and a Hall of Fame manager in terms of the roots of it. And they had other pieces, so they didn't, they didn't squander pool holes. But I mean, I, the Angels, I guess I, I'm just not sure historically, those two examples kind of are contrast. And I guess I haven't thought about it enough deeply otherwise. I think baseball is not, it's not like, uh, you know, the, the Patriots get a Tom Brady and you can just build it out for 15 years. Or in basketball, if that one superstar fading that in the NBA right now would be cut through to certainly not this level of trust or, you know, Pujols level player, but he's certainly, you know, a, a very productive player. They're debating that. It's how valuable he is. Hard to find players. John, we're, you're, we're losing your cell. So, uh, if, while you, we'll keep talking while you find a, an area that's a little better cell service. But, um, but I, I do think with that, I think John makes a good point. Like, I'm not, my thing is not really, uh, really arguing that a star only, the stars and scrubs approach necessarily works at the big league level. The key part to me is, is that if you have, a top guy like that, well then, what I think what there is a temptation to do is lose sight. What the Cardinals did so well after that, and what the Angels did poorly, is the Cardinals produced a pool holes. And it wasn't just that, obviously, but they produced pool holes. And then they did a really good job, and their drafts were very focused on getting really good complementary players. Yeah. And there weren't a lot of stars in those guys, but there were a lot of useful players that they were able to put around them. And more than that, if you look back at the trades the Cardinals made, where they... Sorry. If you look back at the Cardinals' trade track record, where they traded away prospects from major league players, virtually all of them are wipeout wins for the Cardinals. For Scott Rowland, for Jim Edmonds, etc. But we should probably refocus this more on the this year's yeah. org ranking. Do we want to talk about some of the the bottom, yeah. The bottom feeders. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I do think so. We're going to skip over the middle a little bit. I, 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 apologies to that. We will say, if you want, if you're upset that you're not hearing about the Reds or the Mets or the A's or the Indians or these teams in the middle, 
we we did do a podcast. We did a we've done thirty podcasts on thirty teams. So if you go back, you know, on your whatever your podcast, uh, look at your podcast feed for Baseball America. We covered your team and we covered it in depth of 30, 40, 50 minutes just on your team. So we encourage you to go back and, and listen to that. I look at the bottom and I, I guess one of the things I'd ask you, Matt, is, is where does this turn? And where does that, what I mean by that is, is where on this list do you look at it and say, to me, again, now we've adjusted our rankings a little bit. Seattle moved down a couple spots and all that. But the Giants are 24th on this list, mm-hmm. and they're 24th. And I still like, I kind of like their system. There's things I like. Now, it is, like. it is a depth system. Right. I can name you 10 starting pitchers or guys who start, they started last year. They're not going to be, some of them aren't going to be starters long term. 10 starting pitchers who will be in double A, triple A this year, or maybe the majors, who project as potential big leaguers. That's a lot of depth. They lack star power to an extreme. Their star power are guys who are, have yet to play in full season ball in most cases. So that is absolutely a depth over stars system. But that's 24th. I think I was going to say the Tigers to me are the last team that has an, an elite guy. Their, their first round pick in 2016, Matt Manning, had a phenomenal debut in the Gulf Coast League. And to me, He's the kind of guy who's a legitimate number one guy, maybe for a weaker system, like a 21 to 30 system. Right. And that's exactly what, what he is for the Tigers. So Sorry to, about that. So to me, I think once you get past the Tigers, we're talking 26 Royals, 27 Orioles, 28 Diamondbacks, 29 Marlins, 30 Angels. I think those guys don't have top 100 caliber number one prospects. Right. No, I, and they don't. Uh, if you look at this, uh, that's where, that to me, the, the bottom five systems on this combine lack of impact with thin systems. Now, some of these could significantly rise. I mean, the Marlins are our 30th system. So we're still live, so we'll just keep rolling along. Uh, we're talking about the back of the, the 30 now. And um, I, I do look at it and I say, like, the Marlins are our 30th organization on here. They were 29th in the prospect handbook. They've since traded away more uh, talent in their quest to improve the big league club, which has been kind of a... With Dan Straley. With a, a very a very steady theme for the Marlins. There is a there is two themes right now with the Marlins about that. One is they've got the All-Star game coming there. They want to be representative. The curse of the All-Star game. I really believe it. <laughs> it, it hurts teams in the long term. because I've never heard that theory. That's interesting. I go back to the Reds. The Reds held off rebuilding one year because they had the All-Star game in it, and they should have started rebuilding before. But there's the curse of the All-Star game. But the other is obviously is also is that you're looking at a team that's trying to sell. And usually when you try to sell, big league success apparently is, is more important than having a strong farm system. That being said, I do look at the Marlins and I say, okay, if Braxton Garrett gets on the mound in games that count and pitches well this year, if Tyler Kolak makes it back from Tommy John surgery and takes a step forward, they have guys who you're like, okay, they could, they're not going to be a top five system, top 10 system next year, but they could really, they could take a step forward. I, I do expect the Diamondbacks, I look at the Diamondbacks system and I don't think that there's really a lot of pieces to do that that are in the system right now. Right. 
I what I wonder with the Diamondback system though is is I feel like that that's a team that could really head towards a complete teardown during the season. Yeah, I'm optimistic about their future in general with the new front office and all the the former Red Sox executives there. I think there's a track record which will only benefit the Diamondbacks. So I'm optimistic for them long term, but I agree with you short term, no. But John, who do you? I mean, we we said that we kind of think that. It's somewhere around the Tigers-Royals line is where you get into the systems that are, are, are pretty bereft, I mean, really bereft. Yeah, I think, I think you can probably go maybe even one. The, where are they at? The Royals, 27th? 26th. Or back to Baltimore. Yeah, to me, Detroit, Kansas City, Baltimore are bad, but the three below them are almost historically bad. And the Marlins, you know, you can't, when you're trying to sell a franchise, no one's giving you that extra couple hundred million dollars in your fine farm system. You know, so Jeffrey Loria, you know, uh, we, I railed about it in the Marlins Top Ten podcast, which I will point out did come before Jeff Tappen's epic takedown of uh, Jeffrey Loria um, in his column, but it was an outstanding takedown by Jeff Tappen of Yahoo Sports about just how gross Loria's management, mismanagement of the franchise has been. And, uh, you know, so having good prospects or going through a rebuild is not going to help the value of the Marlins. And that's all the worry has been focused on the last couple of years. What's the last thing that would help you, uh, you know, sell, hey, new owner, as all of baseball will come to you for the All-Star game in 2017. I mean, all this was geared, you know, put together cleverly by Gloria and the people who helped him do business just like he did all this with putting the ballpark together. It's a very shrewd businessman. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't know that uh, I won't judge him otherwise. The facts speak for themselves. But their farm system is bad for a reason because they don't, they didn't care about it. The Angels, on the other hand, I think can get better, and I think they're being competently run now. Um, not that the people before were incompetent, but I think they have a complete plan of how they're going to try to compete and at the big league level with Mike Trout and rebuild a, you know, their farm system. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're being run a little bit more, a little smarter, a little more modern organization. And I didn't love their draft last year, but I do like the changes they're making as an organization on the whole. I think Billy Epler, the guy who did start as an area scout, I'm not saying he was some guy in the world, you know, territorial scout or steward style. But he, he appreciates what those guys do. He appreciates that role in the organization. I think he's going to rebuild the Angels. In a smart fashion, I don't think they're going to be, you know, they've been 30 and 29 and, you know, the last four or five years, it feels like. I don't think they're going to be down there anymore. So, uh, the, the curse of firing Eddie Bain should be lifted by them having a little bit more dedication to the farm system, a little bit more dedication to the draft, not giving away all their picks. Mm-hmm. But all these, you know, all these teams, you know, the Angels and the Orioles are two great examples. We talked about those three legs earlier, Matt. The Orioles don't scout the Dominican Venezuela aggressively. The, uh, the, the Tigers don't draft aggressively. Pretty much, if you're, if you're a Venezuelan prospect, they're gonna, they're pretty good there. But, and I guess they're pretty good at drafting kids out of the SEC. Otherwise, <laughs> not so much. All these organizations lag significantly in one or two or three of those areas. And, you know, the Orioles really international for the, for the Royals. I think it's been trades that emptied out their system and haven't gotten prospects back. And then some of their draft picks haven't been, but mostly they just trade a lot of prospects. Uh, but for, to me, for the Angels and, and Marlins to get that 29, 30, 
they had to do poorly at all three. And that's kind of what they've done. And the Orioles one is the most interesting one to me because they've been good for five years in a row in the big leagues. And if you don't do the international aspect, I just think it's so hard to compete with the major leagues and have a good sponsor for them. Mind-boggling that in 2017, there's an organization that's never spent more than $300,000 on a player from Venezuela to the Dominican Republic. Unbelievable, Baltimore. Uh, and the thing that's going to be interesting with that is, is you now have a system where I'm not saying it was not completely bizarre that they did it before, because it was. But you now have a system where basically... Again, you they've been you could trade guy you could trade pool spots before, but are they really going to just bail out on this every year and just use that as right. as trade chips? Because their allotment is going to be to spend more than they ever spent every year, and every year, and that's again that fascinates me. The thing that the Orioles do so well is that's kept them that's helped keep them you know near the you know very competitive in recent years is. They do a really good job. This is, I think, something the Giants do a really good job of, too, the pro scouting side, mm-hmm. which is another one of these prongs. Um, but, man, that's a hard prong to basically – that. that's hard to be that that's your main uh, means of support. The yeah. harder needle to thread consistently, Matt. Yeah, well, we take for granted. I mean, they do have homegrown talent like Machado and Scope. Gosman's okay. Bundy had a nice year. But those all predate, you know, this current era of Orioles franchise history. And and the Orioles, I mean, one thing about that is, is you're not that far away from. I mean, 2014, they were our number 12 system. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. they're not. That we compare that to the Angels, and the Angels are 30. Well, now 29, 29, 30, 27, 30. The so thing is, you wrote about it two years ago, JJ, with the Angels. They didn't even bring a single player from the BSL to their domestic affiliates. I mean, that's just wow. non-existent. And this is and 15 years ago, you know, under, you know, when, when Eddie was a special cross-checker, I forget who the director was at that time, but when Bill Stoneman was running that organization, um, this was an organization that just had an epic rush of talent uh, internationally uh, in the big leagues. Uh, Eric Ibar, Urban Santana, Francisco Rodriguez, Alberto Cayasso, I mean, then Curtis Morales. I mean, they were hot international. They were, that's just impact after impact. <laughs> For an organization, I know they changed, you know, uh, personnel at, in the front office, but Artie Moreno has been under this since 2002 to not recognize that and prioritize that. That's just, that's a thing. A baseball team. And that's, you know, again, it's, this is a team that's been in win-now mode for quite a while now. The entire social era. Well, but, uh, yeah. and the reality of it is, is, and if you're in win-now mode and you keep not winning, that's bad. <laughs> I mean, that's the reality of it is, is that you're talking about. the reality. The reality of it is, is they've had one year, one successful regular season, uh, essentially of the Trout era. And, and the Orioles are in now mode, and they've gone to playoffs three times in the last five years. You know, you'd like to have a little bit more than they've had, but compared to the previous 15 years, this has been a great mm-hmm. Orioles era. It's not yeah. it's not the dynasty of the late 60s and 70s, you know, from what, 66 to 83, the Orioles yeah. won three World Series, and we're, you know, 
I would say the number two franchise in the American League after the dynastic eight. Most wins in, in the that AL. period. Yeah, in the American League. Um, so this, but this is the second best era of Baltimore Orioles baseball. I mean, it's going to be hard to top that other one. But I mean, geez, it's been pretty good lately. Um, and it's been more sustainable than I thought. I think Jaquette, that's why he was our executive the year two years ago. But uh, again, that's an owner who's, you know, uh, so that one, I shouldn't talk bad about the Greek Americans, but you know, they, they've had value with international signings. What more do you need to see than what Jonathan Scope's giving you? Or Miguel Gonzalez gave you as a, a kind of on the margins guy, or Wei Yin Chen. Uh, they've had value from international signings. Uh, Hunter Kim and left field for them last year. So to not, to not see the return the investment that you, when you do make it internationally, and to not say, oh, let's do that more. That, that surprises me. That seems like not a winning formula. Yeah, it, you've got to recognize what, what, what you're doing well and do that more. And it, it is it's going to be interesting to see kind of where they go on that. We've, we've reached an hour. Probably time to wrap this up because we're not even wrapping this up. We, are, uh, <laughs> we, we have a, a, a special guest joining us. We did record this. Uh, last week, I believe it was. It's been a busy week here at Baseball America. Next week, by the way, World Baseball Classic preview. If, like me, you have the fever. If, like me, you're thinking about how that 4.30 wake-up call to watch uh, the first game of Pool A is not that far away. And, yes, I am thinking about that. Um, if you're thinking about that, you know, that's coming next week. We'll have also, I think Matt and I are going to line up. By request, we're going to try to do our... Uh, uh, our drafts of the uh, by division of the orgs again. We take away the number one prospect and, and draft beyond that. Kind of looking at division depth and all that. But uh, but we do have on the uh, on the podcast we have uh, Braves general manager John Capolella, the general manager of not just our number one farm system, but our number one farm system that just two years ago was 29th in the uh, in our talent rankings in the handbook. That's a that's a pretty rapid climb and one that I'm going to have to go back now and try to figure out have we ever seen such a climb 28 spots. The answer is no. I'm pretty sure the previous answer was 29 to 3 a couple of years ago. I forget who made that cuz I remember imprinted in my head was the Rangers went 28 to 4 in 2007-2008 and someone in the last couple of years Broke it by going 29 to three. I forget who it was. It might have been the Dodgers, but uh, the, the Braves going from 29 to one would be the. the to, I mean, we never had a 30 to one. So going 28 to one, 29 to one is weird. Never, we never had that happen before. But so we have uh, John uh, Capolello with John Manuel and I. Um, so we you know look forward to that. But so that will end this portion of the Baseball America podcast. For Matt Eddy, for John Manuel, I'm J.J. Cooper. And now stick around for John Coppolella. And we're pleased to be joined now by Braves General Manager John Coppolella, the general manager of our number one ranked farm system, the Atlanta Braves. John, uh, you know, great to talk to you. Thank you for the time. It, it does stand out. It, it's been a pretty whirlwind couple of years here because you were there and... It was not that long ago that this farm system was nowhere near number one. Um, I know a lot of work's been gone into it, but what stand, when you look at it over the last couple of years, what stands out to you of kind of been the key moments of getting from 
a farm system that needed a lot of work to a farm system that now is the best in the game? Well, the first key moment for me was when the Braves hired John Hart. Uh, I think that John, you know, it, it has been so great to me and so many of the Braves, and he created a culture where he said, look, the game is about the players, and if you don't have young players, it's a tough road. And John built teams with the Cleveland Indians, Texas Rangers, and he and I talked it through here, and we just realized what we had was not good enough. The worst thing to do is to be caught in the middle. We were in a situation having lost 800 innings over two years. If you look back, we lost 400 from Chris Medlin and Mike Miner after 2013 season. Both got hurt. They were eventually non-tendered. We lost 400 more from Urban Santana and Aaron Horain, uh when they left for free agency after the 14 season. We just were not good enough. Maybe if we kept Justin Upton and Jason Hayward and all worked out, maybe we're an 83 win team. What does that really get you? You know, right. I mean, I want to win as bad as anybody. John Hart wants to win. John Churles, uh, Terry McGurk, all of our group, they don't want to win. They are winners. But we made a choice to put our focus on young players. And started with John Hart being an iron. Because John and I talked about it a lot, and John Churles was a part of it. Terry was too, where it's, we don't have anything in the farm. You know, we were ranked 29th by by you guys, I mean, we may have been 30. It um, was it was down there. I think it was tw- 28 or 29, yeah. Yeah, it was... Uh, yeah, we had y'all 29. Really bad. 29, yeah. And, you know, we were in chase house with a few teams in the summer of 2014 where they said to us, we don't like any players in your farm system. And Ouch. And... There was no interest, and we could not get pieces that we needed. There was no even hope. As we went 27-40 over the second half of 2014, there were no young players that we could call on. So we were in a tough spot, and, you know, with the great leadership from Terry and John Schultz and John Hart, we made some really tough choices. And kind of the first move was to trade Jason Hayward. And it was tough because... You know, I was there when we drafted Jason Hayward. I saw Jason play at every stop in our farm system. I love Jason Hayward. He's a great person, great player. He's from here in Atlanta. So training that type of player is really tough. But we knew Jason Hayward was so good that he was going to get paid a lot of money. And that we could not sign Jason Hayward. So do we want to get back pick 35? Or do we want to try and get the best package we could. And we got Shelby Miller and Tyrell Jenkins in that deal. And we flipped Shelby to get Dan Swanson and here in Sciarte, Aaron Blair. And then we flipped Tyrell to get uh, Luke Jackson. So, you know, and same thing. You know, we're there with Justin Upton. Once we trade Jason, all right, so now we've got Justin Upton. Do we go for pick 34 here with him or... You know, we ended up training for a package that uh, led to us to have Jace Peterson, who's been our second base from the last year. Um, Dustin Peterson is one of our best hitters on our farm. He was our minor league hitter of the year last year. Uh, 
Kyle Smith came up and played for us last year and was traded in a deal to help us get uh, Luis Tohara. And Max Reed came back and was outstanding. So then you take some of the $14.5 million that you saved from that Justin Upton trade and you make a deal with Arizona and Suki uh, Tucson. So what ends up being is for one year of Justin Upton, you still save roughly $5 million. You get Jace Peterson, Dustin Peterson, Suki Tucson, uh, and Max Free. That's not bad. <laughs> that's, really, that's really not no. bad. That, that's... That's really how you kickstart uh, that. Rep- if you're gonna if you're gonna be in a reboot, you, you want that reboot to take as, as little time as possible. And I, I gotta imagine that the I mean, I, I, so much of the focus. I, I think you did a great job there of kind of laying out just step by step how you kind of where it started. But I think that the point where everyone else in the industry, but even like a, everyone else in the industry, probably recognized it, especially the Tucson trade. But I think where everybody really woke up, and even fans, probably even Braves fans, really recognized it more was the Swanson trade, right? I mean, how in the in all the scheme of all this, how big was it to get? And you just mentioned Jason Hayward was kind of like the guy who was taking the torch from Chipper Jones and being the Georgia guy who's a Brave, who's a homegrown Brave, a connection to past success, uh, playoff teams. Now, kind of Dansby's, you know, it's not all on him, obviously, but he's the Marietta kid playing the key position, the shortstop of the makeup that he has, how, how big of a piece and how much did he kind of take the the rebuild and this reboot kind of to another level when you got him? Well, there's a few things about that, JJ. It's something where, first off, training Shelby Miller was tough. I mean, Shelby Miller's going to bounce back. Yeah. I don't know if he's going to be the same guy that threw 205 and two-thirds games with a 305 ERA. It was a lone brave all-star from 2015 who, you know, he was 24 good. years old at 600 innings. Shelby's really good. I mean, Shelby's a top 10 prospect in the whole game. He's still young. He's got a great arm. He's a great person. I mean, you know, everybody says this was the worst trade ever. You know what? They got a really good picture now. It didn't work out the right way. And no one could have seen that coming. Not me, not John Hart, not, you know, uh, That's, Dave Stewart, yeah. who's, who's a great, who's a great person. Uh, you know, it's something where the last game of 2015 season, Shelby threw a shutout against St. Louis. Five. He almost threw two or three uh, no hitters during the 2015 season. This guy was filthy. So I remember training them some kind of fringe guy and just getting back to great package of profit. We were trading a real guy. And, you know, look, I mean, you know, if you've seen in trades, whether it's Chris Sale or the rumors around um, Jose Quintana, when you have a really good pitcher, you want to get back really good value. So, so yeah, it was a trade that we liked, otherwise we wouldn't have made the trade, but, you know, we felt like they were getting a really good pitcher, too. Um, second thing I'll say about Dansby Swanson, we're obviously thrilled to have him. The fact that he's from here and who he is is just a great bonus. But, you know, it was something where you always try to make the best trade. Um, the fact that he was a part that obviously is going to be great for our fans. I think this is a player that, you know, is a winner. He's got great tools. He's got great makeup. Um, you know, you hate to comp them to guys that are 
as Hall of Fame because he's got a long way to go. But when you meet Dancy, when you get to know Dancy, after fans get to watch Dancy, this is a special player who's going to be really good for a really long time. Well, so John, when we were kind of putting together the top 30 for you guys, we had a lot of debates because, I mean, it's a deep system, but the other thing about it that stands out is, is it's hard to line these guys up. Internally for you guys, is there, Dan's, you know, is, is there a, a pretty clear delineation for you guys, or is there kind of some of those same debates going on inside where, you know, one guy may think, you know, I, of these Rome pitchers, I'm a fan of this guy, and I think this guy's going to be the best long term, and someone else thinks, no, you know, okay, it's not – it's not Allard, it's Freed. It's not Freed, it's Tukey. It's, you know, all that. How much consensus is there for you guys, or is it something where there's kind of that same, it's it's tough to line these guys up because there's a lot of these guys, and they're all kind of a lot of these guys at the same levels with different strengths and weaknesses? Yeah, you know what, JJ, great question. I think that that's a situation. Like you said, where it's tough for us to line up. I was in a room as you guys went through those, fights over who ranks where, but we've had a lot of the same as we talk with our guys on the farm, with our scouts, with all of our guys. I mean, you know, if you ask 10 people in front office, you get 10 different top 10. And, you know, that's a big credit to the system. I've been in this for 20 years. I've never seen a system with this much depth, with this much upside. Um, it's something that, you know, we're very proud of our scouts, Brian Bridges, Roy Clark, uh, you know, certainly in the forum mark, you guys like Gordon Blakely, Mark Russo, Mike Silvestri, Alex Cotto. We're very proud of the guys on the farm, Dave Tremblay, um, Jonathan Scherholz, Ron Knight, AJ Scola. We've got a good group all around where we're going to scout well and scout hard. We're going to, you know, really help guys on the farm. Um, and that's a credit to that, you know, and it's a credit that, look, John Charles always talks about we and us, and that's what it is with the Braves. It's really a team type of uh, atmosphere where we're all on the same page and we're all pulling the same way. And part of what it is for us is, you know, we didn't go for the safe college guy. You know, in 2015, our first draft, our first four picks were uh, all prep players. And our fifth pick, um, AJ Minter was out for the year with Tommy Johnson. We took players who were far away. We took players who were hurt. We, you know, never took the easy route. Remember that nice, safe college player who, you know, is going to get there fast and try to keep that cycle going. We went with upside over safety. And, you know, look, we don't know if all these guys are going to hit, but when you go and watch a Braves farm team play, you should have double-digit prospects on all four of our full-season teams, with even more on the way. I think that's fair. <laughs> I think that's fair. I, I, I'm very disappointed that you guys are going to be in Florida at high A. We had Zebulon down the street. Yeah. And this will be a very fun yeah. high A team to watch. Yeah, our timing our timing is tough Thank on that you, yeah. one. Our, our timing is tough on that oh, one. Man. It's uh, John Manuel here at Copy. Uh, you, you, you talk about the 2015 draft. 2016, obviously, you guys picked third overall. I mean, that was very high in Braves history. It doesn't happen, hasn't happened much in the last uh, 30 years. Um, really going back to when Chipper was drafted, I guess, and Mike Kelly, 92, Chipper, 1990. You know, back then, 
Um, I know you, uh, I know you see some of the top players. Uh, I know you, you go and see some of these guys yourself. But when, when did that kind of philosophy of hitting those prep pitchers as hard as you guys did with Anderson and Joey Wentz and Kyle Miller, when did that come, uh, when, when did that come together? Did you guys feel that was more the strength of the class or was there any temptation at all to go position player early considering you guys had already, you know, you already had that low class A Rome team with Allard and Weigel and Tukey and those guys. Was there any temptation even though Obviously, you guys were convicted on those three pitchers to say, wait a minute, we've already got a lot of young pitchers. Let's try to diversify. Or was, was the talent just too loud for you guys with those three prep pitchers at the top of the draft? When you build a skyscraper, you build it from the bottom up. So for us, we wanted to target high school players. The same as John Charles, Bobby Cox, Paul Snyder did. They went with prep players. They went with guys that had high ceilings. Yeah. Um, you know, we did look at some college bats. Uh, our scouts kept coming back to Ian Anderson. They love Ian Anderson. Uh, I love Ian Anderson. We all love Ian Anderson. Yeah. He's the guy, look, you know, there has never been a prep righty taken number one overall, but he was the top guy on the board. So it was something where um, everything we do here is, we and us, and, you know, just with our group, felt like he was the right guy. Now, we were fortunate. Joey Wentz fell to pick 40. He had a strong college commitment to the University of Virginia. Yeah. We were able to talk him out of that, and we were fortunate that Kyle Moore fell to 44. You know, you just, we were fortunate the way Colby Allard fell to pick 14. I mean, there's been some good luck, if you will, in it. And uh, so you got to have breaks, so and then you got to be ready to take advantage of those breaks. That's the that's the thing. Yeah, and you know we were yeah we were kind of somehow um, able to and lined up where it all kind of worked out somehow. But uh, you know it worked out to where we really liked what we did. We want to build around arms and just keep kind of you know we always talk about this. You know uh, when you talk about windows. You know, all right, we've got a window for one or two years. I'm out on windows. I want waves. You know, we always talk about waves. Wave after wave of process. That was the way John Sherls did it, and John Hart did it, and Bobby Cox, and Paul Snyder, and, you know, all those guys, where it's wave after wave. You know what I mean? Yeah. We had our window closed, basically, halfway through 2014, and it's taken a long time for us to kind of get cracked back open. And for us, for the Braves, uh, whether I'm here for the next three years, next 30 years, or next three weeks, you want to leave it where there's a foundation, where there's waves, and where there's, I mean, upside and impact always. The other thing that stands out about 2016 for you guys was obviously on the international side, wasn't just Kevin Montan, but... A, a class led by Kevin Maitan, and that that kind of when you talk about different ways, I mean that's obviously a group that's a long ways away. Although I will say, as as international prospects go, as guys born in 2000 or later go, which I still have trouble believing, but as those guys go, Kevin Maitan is a guy who moves who who is more advanced than the average guy, obviously coming out of uh, Venezuela or Dominican. Is that fair? 
Yeah, he's a player we're very excited to get. I just want to say once more, Gordon Blakely and his team got the debut. Gordon probably met Blayla about 14 times wow. from January until uh, July 2nd, and that's not a real safe place right now. Right. I mean, it's something where, you know, I mean, um, Gordon put his life on the line literally to sign some of these players, as did all of his scouts. And, you know, that shows you just how much these guys care. Um, it was tough to sign this player, not not because he didn't want to be a brave or because there's any question on the sound. There were a lot of other teams that like to get involved. I mean, the way it is down there, it is a lot like the Wild West. And, you know, just because a team has a, quote, deal doesn't mean that a lot of teams are going to be good with that. And teams came in late, and, you know, it was something for us. We had a lot of great Latin players at the Braves throughout history, and we kind of gone away from that in recent years, and we made that a top priority, even the year prior, you know, signing Christian Pache, Darian Cruz, others. You know, that was a big thing for us. And, you know, you may have seen we made, like, five or six traffic trades, which is not fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we were shooting toward 2016, knowing that we would go over that year, knowing that we could not go over in 2015. Uh, so, you know, just for us, it's a great credit to the scouts that really do put their lives on the line. Um, and, you know, the fact that we're able to get them signed and have strong draft plays have strong draft classes and, you know, like make trades that were tough, but that fit what we wanted to do as far as long-term type of upside. Like that has led to that kind of brave uh, prospect resurgence for us. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Uh, when we were honoring uh, the Rome Club as our team of the year, you were at the awards gala. Obviously, the Braves showed out at that awards gala, which we appreciate. Um, but beforehand, you know, just having gotten to work with John Hart and then when he was at MLB Network and knowing his passion for prospects and Dave Tremblay and Bo Porter being there and Mr. Scherholz as well, just the excitement those guys had for all your guys, but you mentioned they were on the international class, the excitement those guys have about Ron Acuna and uh, Christian Pache is a little bit different maybe than it is for maybe, I, I think that's because John was like, oh, you're low on Acuna, and he he wanted to tell me how I was low on Ron Acuna. But those two guys, I mean, you're talking about the international side, those two guys, I know Kevin Maiton gets a lot of the attention, and he deserves it. I understand why he gets it. But those two guys sound like those are, if, if you were picking breakout prospects of the minor leagues for 2017 for any organization, those two guys would be on the short list for me. What, so, what separates those guys, maybe, uh, in your mind, from some other, just from the, the average outfield prospect? Yeah, you know, when you talk about um, Acuna, I don't think he's a breakout guy because, you know, I think he's out there already. Right. It seems like a lot of people know who he is. And Keith Law ranked him in the top 35 prospects. This guy is really talented. He can do a lot of things. He's a true five-tool player. Um, Had he not gotten hurt last year, uh, you know, he may rank in the top 20 of all prospects. And, you know, it's something where... He went and played uh, winter ball in Australia and, you know, set the world on fire there. So he's a special guy. 
Yeah, I can think back to the first time I met Christian Pache. It wasn't, uh, you know, it was actually Valentine's Day 2015. You know, we went to go watch him play and, uh, you know, just meet with his um, agents as we were trying to sign him later that summer. And this was a kid that you could just tell with his smile, with his uh, actions. That, I mean, he loves playing the game. He's a really good center fielder. I mean, we've had some guys with the Braves, scouts, guys in our farm system, talk about this guy makes them think defensively of Andrew Jones. Right. And, you know, he can. he's a really good hitter. This guy's growing and getting stronger. He's a worker. So we're really fired up to have him do it. He isn't a popular guy. He's not a top 100 prospect list yet, but he's got a really bright future. I, we put a lot of y'all's guys in the top 100, and he got votes on people yes, in the 50s. Thank you. Yeah, so he, so he's he, he's he's a candidate for next year for sure. We, we don't want to hold you too long, John. Thank I do. You. And, um, you know, just real fast, I want to say too. Uh, thank you know, like um, here I'll cut this part off. But uh, you know, we just want to say too. Um, thank you for choosing Rome as the 2016 Team of the Year. I'm a huge fan of the work that you guys do here, and it meant a great deal. Just as it means a great deal being ranked one in the farm system rankings, um, you know, something we certainly strive for. And that Rome team for us is kind of like those flagship. You know, if you think about that starting rotation, you've got Albert Soroka, Tucson Free. Two of them were the first two draft picks we had with the church. Two of them were trade guys. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, you know, it was something for us where it was it was really cool seeing that team get that honor, you know. Uh, you know, just with Riley was our third pick in 2015. Um, you know, just on and on. There were a lot of people who were in the draft that were a part of this. And just seeing that whole night was such a special night. Um, I think that just with you guys do a great job. And seeing that team meant a lot to, you know, from Dave Tremblay, Jonathan Shirls, John Shirls, John Hart, I and mean, the Allen whole group, we felt really, really good. So it was a great honor for us. Thank you for, for, Thank thank you. for saying that. We loved it. I mean, it was pretty easy to honor. And it was fun to hear Randy Engel up there talk about it. That's a guy who's like, again, like Paul Snyder, but like John Shirls, this link. Just this constant Brian Snicker, all these guys who've been yeah. there for, you know. So there are a lot of guys who are Braves, Roy Clark, who, you know, I saw Christian Pache this year, and I saw Andrew Jones back then. So they could make that comp at, uh, you know, very easily. Yeah, they can right. they, they can compare. And I, I, I you mentioned, like, right. even there, there are only four college draft picks. I think you guys have, out of the 30 guys in our top 30 this year, 14 drafted, 16 are trades. Only four of those drafted players are college, but even those guys are upside. It's three upside pitchers and Brent Cumberland. I know he didn't have a great debut, but is, you know led the Pac-12 and and in uh, home runs as a sophomore and uh, might you know might be a catcher. But Patrick Weigel, I know, is JJ's favorite guy, and he he was probably the guy you you didn't expect would be a member of that rotation necessarily at Rome, but he finishes the year in Double A. So you guys, it's not just high picks. It's not just Trades. There's been some really impressive development stories that you guys have as well. I guess for me, Weigel's probably the best one. I don't know if there's another development story, another guy whose development 
maybe surprise you guys this year? Weigel seems like he would be the one that was the, the, the I mean, maybe you had some expectations for him, but not necessarily to be, to finish the year in double A probably. Right. And let me go back a second, John. Yeah. Real fast. You talked about Randy Engel and that group. We're so fortunate having somebody like Randy Engel who's been with the British for 40 years, uh, as has guys like Brian Smicker, who's now our big league manager. Uh, you talk about Rick Albert. Yeah. He's been, been there longer than any of them. Yeah. You know, look, John, John Schultz has done such a great job of creating continuity. People want to be with the Braves. You treat them well. You know, they know that they're a big part of this. And, uh, you know, it all starts with John Schultz. Uh, all that. And it's great having those guys here. Um, White was a great story. And, you know, the job our guys do on the farm, Dave Tremley, uh, Jonathan Charles is really, really good. I mean, these guys care and work and they're great with their players. Um, you know, kind of like you guys pointed out, Weigel's a guy who's a college guy, but a big upside guy too. He was one where, you know, we love the Army. He's a guy we actually looked at, uh, you know, I can think back to drafting from 2014 when we talked about him coming out of junior college in, I think, Oxnard or something. And just a big guy who threw hard and, you know, you try and, you know, if you have the raw tools, we can help them get there. I mean, it always starts with the player. It's the player that's on the field making that choice. We have a lot of good, good coaches that help. Um, one thing we've done too is we've taken a lot of guys that have been hurt, Tommy John surgery guys, and the work that our training staff's done with them, some really good, whether it was Max Free, because we could probably bought, brought Max Free back during Instructs of 2015, but we wanted to take our time with them. That was a group call made by Dave, made by Jonathan, made by our group. Uh, Dan Meyer was a pitching coach in Rome, was actually a rehab coordinator in 2015. 2001 supplemental first Matt round pick. Yeah. Yes, sir. He was in that Tim Hudson trade as well. Yeah, that's uh, right. But yeah, you know, it was something where, you know, one thing about the Braves, and I keep going back to the team atmosphere, the team environment, the we and us, really is we and us. Because, you know, whether it's guys in the draft or, or, or with our pro scouts on trade, then it's guys that are trying to get guys back to health, training staff, uh, medical staff. Then it's our guys on the farm, uh, pitching coaches, the guys running the farm, all of it. Literally, there's, 25, 30 people that put hands on each player that are a part of that process. And that's one of the best things about the Braves is that we're all in sync and we can get the most out of these players. That's The other thing I did want to ask you before we let you go, John, was Alex Jackson, one of the guys you all picked up, former uh, first-round pick of the Mariners, seen him, you know, some workouts, saw what looked like a catcher's glove, uh, you know, in the bag and all. When, he, when, when Alex comes to spring training – has there been a decision made about is he going to catch? Is he going to, uh, you know, just be an outfielder or is that still to be determined? Well, you know, I'm going to beat the drum one final time. We traded for Alex Jackson, Dave Tremley, Jonathan Trills, beyond the plane, seeing within 48 hours of the trade. Then Jeff Dads, who's our, he's our roving catching, uh, coordinator, has visited without three times and we're going to give him a chance to catch we feel like he can catch this guy's got a plus arm and he's got a lot of tools 
got power. He's a really good athlete. Uh, Jeff was actually with Alex earlier in the week, and I spoke to Jeff yesterday about it. And, you know, it's a great credit to him, but most of all, it's a great credit to Alex. Look, I mean, you have all the tools in the world. Catching is hard. If you don't want to catch, it's not worth trying. Alex wanted to catch. Alex said, I'm in. I see that if there's one area where the Braves may not be quite as loaded as they are, it would be catcher, and he's in. And we don't know where it's going to go, but we're going to give it every chance to work out. And we have a lot of faith in him. Whether or not Alex is going to catch, we would have made that deal because we have faith in Alex and his bat. This guy, when we traded for him, was 20 years old. He was the top prep bat in the draft. It was a buy low. Like we've done a number of other battles. The guys were hurt, fell out of favor, whatever it may be. And we really liked Alex Jackson. And the fact that he can catch makes us like him even more. Yeah, I mean, this was a guy who was obviously a high school catcher. This is not someone who, this is new for him. This is going back to what really was his, his main position at one point. Yes. And that's... Yeah. yeah, we feel the same way. And look, I mean, you know, it's not like he's, 28 years old either. I mean, he turned 21 in Christmas. So he's a young guy that we feel has every chance to really try and make this work. But, well, John, again, we don't want to hold you for too long, but we really did appreciate this. Congratulations on being our our number one organization on our organization talent rankings. Um, I know with the way that you guys work, it'll be a very busy, busy 2017. Uh, obviously, the draft is already, we're already getting rolling with that. You know, it's something where I know that you'll be, you got spring training coming up. You've got, you go out and see guys and all that. I know at some point during the, during the spring as well, but uh, good luck with everything. But again, thank you for the time and we appreciate you joining us here on the Baseball America podcast. Thank you guys, John, uh, JJ. I mean, you guys are great. This was a lot of fun. I hope we can do it again soon. Thank, thank you both. Thanks a lot, John. So thanks again to John Coppolello joining us. We do want to remind you again, we thank you for tuning in to today's Baseball America podcast. And our podcasts are brought to you and sponsored by Baseballism. Baseballism is the official off-the-field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and kids. If you're a baseball fan, you need to check out Baseballism.com or visit their retail locations in Cooperstown, New York, and Scottsdale, Arizona. Visit Baseballism.com and enter the code BA2017 to save 20%. So for John Manuel, Matt Eddy, I'm J.J. Cooper. Also, thanks again to John Coppolella. So long, everybody. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage.